uh, I was scared. I was really, really scared uh, to quit that job, but I did it and I never looked back and I'm, I'm very thankful and, and blessed. And, you know, I believe though, um, I believed in, in us. I believed in myself and I had faith the entire time that we would eventually get over the hump, you know, because I felt like that's what it was. We were kind of just climbing this wall and it was just this roller coaster, but we, we finally, we finally got there and um, it's been amazing. You're listening to Deal Closers, brought to you by WebsiteClosers.com. Deal Closers is a show about how to build your e-commerce business to be profitable, scalable, and one day, even sellable. I'm Jason Gillikin, and on the show today, we talk to two founders who did it. They successfully built their company to the point where they could make a living, then a good living, and then they had a successful exit. California Beach Company was founded by Austin Wright and David Shoham. If you look up their names or the company now, you'll see the Kickstarter success story, the millions of dollars in revenue, the advice they give to other entrepreneurs, the exit with the help from WebsiteClosers.com. And on this episode, you'll hear from Jason Garitas and Isaac Porter from Website Closers. But what you might not see is how they got here, the struggle they went through, and the failures throughout their path to success. Austin and David grew up in Georgia, and after high school, it was time for them to get away. Here's David. We eventually had to get out of where we grew up. And I do look back and I'm like, man, if I would have never left, I don't know what would have happened. You know, maybe good things because I've always been a a passionate person, but I could have had some lengthy uh, jail history by now if I lived, if I continued to live where I grew up, you know, so I think it was good. And I mean, I think we we left at the right time. It was like, uh, I just turned, I think I was just turned 21. Austin, I, I forget if you were 19 or 20. When, when you moved out, but yeah, we were still young. I moved to LA with basically two trash bags full of clothes and that was it. I didn't even have a car. Me and my, my high school buddy at the time just packed up, we shared a car. We moved to, to LA first. And I think we had like maybe three grand to our name. Like that was our net worth. So we go out there and of course, everyone's like, you guys are not gonna make it. Like, we'll see you in a couple of weeks, you'll be back. And so we get out there and I think we landed in like Manhattan Beach and booked one of those like extended stay hotels. And I think we spent almost our entire three grand in the first like two and a half weeks. So we were like, oh shit, we're not going to make it. So they didn't make it to LA, but they found a place to stay in San Diego where they eventually figured out a way to make a living. David in the hospitality industry where he ended up working for some of the best restaurants in the world, but he was making money for someone else. Austin started in hospitality as well, but then found gyms and found out that he was actually pretty great at it. But he had the same problem as David. I was opening gyms for someone else all over Los Angeles. I opened like, I don't know, 12 or 13 gyms for them. And it eventually got to the point where I was like, you know, I'm building this empire for somebody else. Like, I know what I'm doing now. I can do this myself. So I decided to make that leap around 2017-ish and uh, branched out, opened my own gym in LA. That was really the moment for me that allowed me the freedom to do whatever else I wanted. That freedom allowed Austin and David to dream big. They started some e-commerce businesses together, some worked okay, and eventually they landed on the idea that would change their lives. It all started with a trip to the beach where they all brought a big sheet to sit on. And so we go out there and, you know, we put the bags in the corners and shoes and that kind of stuff. we got this big sheet. We're all hanging out. 
And we like looked at each other. We were like, you know, why don't we just buy like a beach sheet, like something for this exact, you know, time, right? Like a picnic blanket before the beach. So we go online and we start like looking for it and it didn't really even exist. There was no, there was no product like that on the market, which you would think someone would have invented by, by that point, right? Something specifically for that. And so that's when it kind of dawned on us and we were like, let's just make it. Let's just make this product and see if we can actually create a, you know, sell it and create a business out of it. And so that's what we did. We, we basically went to like Craigslist and hired like a local seamstress in LA and paid her like a hundred bucks to like sew together this product that we wanted. We decided that obviously you don't want to pick up a sheet and like bunch it up and carry it around. So you needed some way to transport it. So we attached one of those little, you know, Nike drawstring backpacks to it. So you could just fold it up and throw it on your back and it would come out and fold back in. So we created this product and we were, we were like, let's just call it beach sheets. And, and so we did that and we decided to launch it on Kickstarter. So that was kind of how we got our starts. Again, we, up to this point, we still didn't have much money. You know, we weren't rolling. We, we didn't know how to go raise capital and do all this stuff. So we we're like, let's just throw it on Kickstarter and see if it works. So I heavily researched, you know, how to run a successful Kickstarter campaign. And we ultimately connected with a videographer in LA that specialized in that. They, that's what they did. They wrote storyboards and did videos for crowdfunding campaigns. And it was this really, really amazing couple named Valerie and Mitchell. And I'll never forget when we connected with them, we basically, you know, put this campaign together and launched it. And we did everything wrong that we could possibly do, but the product and the video were so good, we raised like $150,000 in the first 30 days. So we were like, holy shit, this, you know, we can actually do something with this. There's people that want our product. This is wild. We learned very quickly that, you know, we actually didn't make $150,000. I think we lost about $150,000, you know, when when we had to ship all these things out to 60 different countries across the world and, you know, everything else. But that's what kind of really sparked it for us and got us to go, all right, let's, we can create something from scratch that people want that helps, helps them in some situation or helps them improve their lives in some way and that they will buy. And so if we just stick with it and we can figure out all the other details as we go, we can make this work. But, but you, you guys decided to be partners, which mm-hmm. for a lot of entrepreneurs, they're not always comfortable with that. And so I just wondered how that idea started. Were you guys just sitting there having a beer on the beach and said, hey, well, we can do this together? To, I think both of us o- always had big expectations, big dreams. We, we knew that we had something. And I, I remember where there was a point where Austin was doing his thing. He was running multiple gyms for someone else. And I was running multiple locations for restaurants for someone else. And man, I know I, 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 I we were all kind of on the same page. And I, I, I remember being over his house. I'm like, man, we have got to do something. We have got to do something. I, I don't, you know, we're basically making other people rich. Like we have got to do something. You know, we, we were both leaders in our own world. We were both doing our thing. We knew that we could handle other duties and, you know, we could step up to the plate when needed. So that was kind of like my, my thing. We, we had to. And over the years, I mean, we had other partners. It wasn't just me and Dave, you know, we had people that, that came and went to, you know, throughout this process. And, you know, ultimately I think what we learned, you know, specifically working together is that, you know, when you have a business, 
you, you really have to be all in, right? If that business is not making money, you have to capitalize it somehow, right? You have to put in your own money or go find money to raise money, you know, or, you know, put up collateral for debt, that kind of stuff. And those were really tough lessons to learn, especially in the beginning, because, you know, we, we don't have MBAs. We didn't go to business school to learn all this stuff up front. We had to basically go through it and learn it the hard way. And over time, you know, people had to step away from the business, walk away, drop out, you know, because they, they either didn't have the resources or it just didn't work out in terms of that partnership. But me and Dave just kept our heads heads down and, and kept kept trying and kept iterating and kept putting in our own money and our own time and our own effort. And ultimately, you know, after years of really struggling and not making it, but continuing to, to move the business forward, it finally turned that corner and, and started making money and and then we were able to eventually step away from our other jobs and other businesses and focus on this full time. And, and do you think that you guys were always in agreement or were there times where one of you wanted to go one way, one of you wanted to go the other? Uh, you, know, you read and, and listen to partnerships. Some of them go south really, really bad. Uh, yeah. Others, you know, are, are, you know, they become best friends. And, you know, I, I think of, you know, the ice cream company, Ben and Jerry's, I listened to their story the other day and those guys, you know, they sold their company and they still to this day are best friends. And I just wonder, you know, what, what that's like for you and what your interactions were like and how you learned to, to work together under a highly stressful scenario. We are very lucky, you know, me and Dave are very yin and yang. We both have our own specialties and we, you know, that, kind of complement the other one. And so we give each other a lot of discretion to just run with it and do their thing. We almost never disagree on things either. And if we do, we talk it out. Like we don't really bicker and fight and, and that kind of stuff. But I know what you're saying. That's, that is not normal. I think most partnerships, you know, typically end with a lot of fights or end with disagreements that probably could have been resolved if they had been talked about upfront. I think one thing that's super important if you're creating a partnership that's 50-50 is you have to have a third party to resolve disputes and you have to establish who that third party is going to be up front because it's almost inevitable that you're going to get to a point in time where you disagree on something and one of you's got to give you know so if it and if it comes to something major like taking on debt or selling the company or you know going in a different direction or things like that and you disagree with your partner and you guys are 50-50 and not one of you has more control than the other, you're in a really tough spot if you hadn't, if you hadn't hashed that out up front. So if entrepreneurs are out there and, and listening and thinking about a startup or just getting into a startup with a partner or family member or anything else, and it's 50-50, I would say probably best piece of advice would be start now, get a third party involved or get, a, get an agreement in place that if there is ever a dispute you know, regarding the business, anything material that you have a way to, to resolve that. Yeah. And we kind of learned that early, you know, we, we ran into, you know, partners, not, not putting in the the sweat, you know, not putting in the funds and that came to a head, unfortunately. And Austin and I, you know, pretty much always had uh, good synergy. I mean, we, we always kind of, uh, we respect each other. And I think that's huge. Um, if Austin felt strongly about something, I, I respect him. And I respect his thoughts to where I really take the time to listen to him. And if I'm having any reservations in any kind of way, I'll, you know, lay it out there and we'll hear each other out. There's never a time where him and I are, are arguing about something and saying, no, I'm right or I'm right. We've had many times where we're talking and it's a good conversation because 
he might be looking at something and I look at something differently and at least we're pointing it out. So we're really kind of thinking everything through. And at the end of the day, we listen to each other's guts. Like Austin's like, Austin, and many times Austin's like, man, I have a gut feeling about this or vice versa. And we're like, all right, cool. I respect that. Let's do it or let's not do it or whatever it may be. We've made many decisions like that. And there's always logic behind it. You know, if somebody was making a decision that has no logic behind it, then that is a, a huge problem. And luckily we haven't had that issue. So, yeah, just my last my last note on that, you know, w- with partnerships and, and personally, you know, I think they're extremely important for, for a lot of different reasons. I mean, you have somebody to fall back on when necessary. It allows you to take some time off if you need to. You might have something personal come up, but also just, you know, two great minds together thinking about things as you're describing here. Uh, can help you lead to success, can help get you over that edge. Whereas by yourself, it, it's it's tough out there sometimes. And I know Ron and I are, are great partners uh, and friends, and it, it's been really important for our success in this firm uh, to work together on things. And we're the same. You know, we don't we don't necessarily disagree on on much. You know, we've certainly talked through things and, and that, those kinds of things. But honestly, if Ron disagrees with me on something, I usually just say you're right and, and nod my head and and, and, and agree because. <laughs> Uh, I have that kind of respect for him too. So I totally understand that. And if there are entrepreneurs listening to this, I highly recommend to consider when you're starting out at the beginning to you know, think about a partner in the process, not just from the, the, the monetary side, but just the entire operation can be so much easier when you've got someone on your, you know, on your back uh, to run through it. So anyway. That, and I think one thing to add to that, you know, we learned through the process of actually selling our company and talking to all of these different, you know, institutional groups, private equity groups, you know, they want to see strong management teams. They want to see people in those roles that that they can look at and go, okay, we can buy this business and we can plug in our own resources and replace and improve this process. You know, if it's just one guy, one entrepreneur, and he's running the whole show, you know, it's harder to create more enterprise value for your company because if you walk away, what happens to the business? So that's that's definitely something to think about as you're thinking long term, um, you know, get partners up front, hash out the agreements, make sure everything's on the table right up front. And then it's just going to make that process of building the company out so much easier. So who's your third party? You mentioned you needed a, a third party like mediator almost like who's that for you guys? We actually didn't have that in, in Cali oh. Beach. We were 50 50, but I've had experience with experiences with other businesses, with other companies where that mistake was made. And I wish now that I had, I had something in place up front to, to help resolve those kind of issues. We built out a pretty good management team with, with the California Beach Co. We had a, um, uh, a really incredible uh, CMO, chief marketing officer. We outsourced a fractional CFO. So we basically got accounting and CFO services for a fraction of what it would normally cost. And then we just outsourced a lot of different positions. So we had people in roles that were dedicated to their role, that were specialists in their roles. And that really took the pressure off of me and Dave to have to do those jobs. So it was more just working with those people and letting them kind of run and do what they were good at and compensating them the correct way, which is aligning them with the interest of everybody and and of the whole company. And I think that ultimately led everybody to to be really motivated and engaged and and wanting to grow the business versus feeling like they had a job. That makes sense. 
So take me back to the Kickstarter campaign. I've got a friend right now who wrote a book, wrote a children's book, and she did a, a Kickstarter campaign for $10,000 and she's got like 20 hours left and she's going to make it, but she's like $500 short. And the, the joy that she's about to have for reaching that $10,000 and being able to publish this book, like she's going to be dancing on tables, right? And you guys asked for $20,000 and ultimately you know, got close to $400,000. I mean, what was that like? Like what's going through your head as you're seeing this money roll in through Kickstarter? So Kickstarter can be done many different ways. If you go to Kickstarter and you look at, you know, the top hundred campaigns ever, you're going to see a lot of similarities in those campaigns. And a lot of the big ones are things like board games or video games or, you know, electronics, that kind of stuff. These are, typically either established companies already, meaning they already have these products and they're making them and they're acting like it's a new thing that they're launching on Kickstarter, or they have a lot of capital behind them and they've basically got the whole business lined up and ready to go and ready to launch. And they're, they're putting it out there on Kickstarter and you know dumping a ton of ad spend in, into it to, to boost it. So it's very, very rare that somebody just comes up with an idea makes a video about that idea and doesn't really even have prototyping or any, any of the other things you need to launch and throws it on Kickstarter and raises hundreds of thousands or millions of dollars. That almost never happens. And so we understood that going in and we were, we were at that very early stage. We had prototype, but that was pretty much it. We had no social media following. We had no email list. We had no manufacturing at scale. You know, no, we barely had, uh, 3PL lined up for logistics. So it was very, very early stage. So coming into that process, we understood that the chances of us just throwing a video out there and being months away from being able to launch our actual company uh, was pretty slim. So what we did is we hired a firm that actually specializes in Kickstarter campaigns and launching brands. Really, really amazing group. group. They're called Funded Today. So if anybody's interested in checking them out, I think their website is funded.today. I, I don't know how much they've raised for brands now. It's in the hundreds of millions. Um, but basically what they do is they, they pool resources. So they have their teams who are specialists in doing an email lead gen campaign prior to your launch and doing cross promotions with other brands and other Kickstarter campaigns while you're going through the process. And upselling and getting referrals from your backers. And, you know, they everything that you wouldn't even know to think of, they have a team or, or a specialist in place for. And so what they do is they actually, if you, if you apply to work with them, they'll take your product or they'll take your video and they'll run a test. They'll do A-B testing before they commit to your project. So they'll spend their own money. They'll run some Facebook ads. They'll look at conversion ratios and ROAS and that kind of stuff. And they'll see if they, if they think they can scale it with significant ad spend. And if they think they can, they'll take on your project. They spend the money for the marketing, but then they take a, you know, a nice chunk of your, of your profits of whatever you raise. You kind of have to weigh that and go, is it worth it? Everybody who's ever reached out to me about this, I give the same advice to, and I say it's a hundred percent worth it because you know, even if you don't make money, I mean, we raised almost half a million dollars and we didn't actually make money. There was no profit there. But what we got was massive exposure and massive momentum right out of the gate. So now we were able to say on our website, the Kickstarter smash hit, pop and go playpen. So we use that in all of our marketing 
to really kind of give us legitimacy around our business and our product. And I think that was that was really valuable for getting to scale and getting to that launch in a short period of time. So I definitely recommend Kickstarter for anybody thinking about it, but there's a process. Definitely do your research and consider consider consulting or partnering with a group that specializes in that to really kick off your brand. Yeah, the the two things that I think that were the most, you know, crucial headache for us was just the fulfillment and it's just kind of deceiving, you know, um we it don't and I, sorry, one more thing, I wouldn't recommend uh doing international. I would do just domestic. Unless you have it figured out up front, which we yeah. we did not. We did not. <laughs> you know, we didn't realize that you know, we, we ran this campaign with play pens, which are not small products, right? They're pretty, they're pretty large. Even though ours was the lightest on the market, we, we basically came out with the lightest play pen ever made, but the product still weighs 10, 12 pounds and takes up three feet of space. So if you want to ship this thing from China to Saudi Arabia, it costs 300 bucks, but you just, you, you didn't charge the person shipping. So we didn't think about all the, all of this stuff up front. If you have that worked out, then it makes sense because you get worldwide exposure from the gate. But if you don't, it can certainly bankrupt you. And it was it was pretty close. I mean, it was, tight <laughs> yeah. it was wow. definitely stressful. But that was it. I mean, everything else that Austin said about uh, Kickstarter and even funded today is all true. I mean, it's definitely worth it. It was a good kickstart for our business. It really was. But the fulfillment was a nightmare. And that was the the tough lesson that we had to learn. We ended up dealing with Kickstarter issues for well over a year after the campaign ended, just trying to get things shipped all across the world. And I mean, imagine trying to do refunds or exchanges from, you know, 60 different countries when mm-hmm. you don't have that kind of, you know, operational logistics set up. It was just, it was a lot, a lot to do. With. I would work on getting that set up first. And I'm sure there's companies that, that it could either drop ship or that they could help set up. I'm, I'm pretty sure there, there might be some better solutions now. Uh, than there was back then. Wow. So this could have been a total disaster for you all. I, I figured you'd be jumping up and down so excited, but you know, it sounds like you're like, oh we crap, now we've got now we've got a lot of work to do. We were we were certainly celebrating after the campaign. It was a it was a massive success. We we were expecting to raise somewhere between twenty and fifty thousand dollars and we got, you know, well over four hundred. So it was certainly a a celebration afterwards. But I think that's when the work started and that's when that's when it got real. That's when we yeah. we said, okay, we've mm-hmm. got, you know, we're 30 days into business and we've now got 3,000 orders to fulfill in 62 countries. How do we do this? And so that's that's when you you have that wake up call and you go, okay, this is this is harder than I thought. And so you really have to start pooling resources. You really have to do research and figure out, you know, good partners to work with that can help you with this. Because if you're again, it goes back to if you're on your own trying to figure this thing out and you know, you just have $400,000, but now it's going to cost you 700000 to ship all these things. Well, that's it. That's the end of your business. You know, so you just, you just smash hit and then crash and burn immediately. Uh, <laughs> Question that I've had, you've been tremendously successful, built a great, great business, but you mentioned things that were harder than you had anticipated. What were, what were some of the other uh, things where maybe lessons learned, mistakes made, projects that ended up just being a lot harder than you anticipated? I would say customer service uh, is really top of mind when I think about mistakes and things that are important to establish up front. You know, when we started off, me and Dave were the customer service. So literally answering every email, you know, text, calls, DMs, you name it. We were, we were, we were everything. So 
And that was extremely taxing, especially when you come out of the gate. If you get a lot of momentum right away and you have a lot of customers right away, yeah, that's that's successful on, on paper. But there's a lot of it behind the scenes that can be very stressful and very taxing on you as an entrepreneur. And ultimately, it took us, what, two and a half years before we figured out how to outsource customer service the right way. And ultimately, I mean, I look back now and I'm like, Jesus, we could have made we could have made probably close to a million dollars or more profit had we figured this out early. And so, um, you know, we got to the point where obviously it was overwhelming for us. So we started putting it on our social media team that hindered their ability to create content and growth through social media because they were dealing with customer service all the time. So then we moved that to our internal 3PL, which was a company that's based out of California. So talk about doing things the wrong way. Pick the most expensive place basically in the world for labor and hire customer service there. That's the worst thing you can do. And so we did that and we had a team of like 10 to 12 people, agents that are making $20, $25 an hour answering email tickets and our customer service is costing us $40,000 a month. You know, so ultimately it's, you know, I would say that's one of those things. There's really great companies out there. The one that we ended up working with in the end is called Talent Pop. Really cool company. They use incredible software. They're plugged into Shopify. They're plugged into Amazon. And they hire, they train, they outsource all of the agents. And it literally brought down our cost by a factor of 10x when we hired them. And it improved the service of the business as well. So I wish yeah, we had wow. figured that out earlier. Yeah, you definitely want to drop a line for Gorgeous when it comes to that as well. Gorgeous is that uh, is a software that integrates all your, your, your channels into one platform. So literally, you could get, you get an, uh, a notification that somebody, you know... Um, said something on Facebook, Instagram, um, a DM, anything, it all puts it into one platform. So that was huge. Yeah. A challenge, a challenge a lot of, I think a lot of startups have is, you know, having so many different channels now that you have to manage, you know, you've, you've got to be on Instagram. You've got to be on Facebook. You've got to be on YouTube. You've got to have email. You've got to have a contact form on your website. We were on Pinterest, Snap, Twitter, you know, all of these different platforms so if you if you don't have the same people or the same software managing all of this, you may get different messages. And that was happening to us. We would have people reach out to us on the contact form on our website and be like, hey, what's up with my order? And they would get a response from an agent. And then four days later, they would DM us on Instagram and somebody else is responding to that person something different. So now the customer's pissed. You know, so uh, Gorgeous was really cool because it's like a it's similar to like a Zendesk where it basically just pulls everything into one place and it's a ticketing system. So nothing gets lost, nothing gets dropped. And you have the same team of agents working, saying the same things and, and providing that same message. So it creates a, a nice consistency across the board in terms of customer service. Very cool. I, I do want us to talk a little bit about the actual sale. Um, and, and, and getting to, you know, this process, this idea that you, you wanted to, you know, potentially sell or sell a piece of the business and what your thought processes were to that. But just, you know, kind of at the beginning, when, when you said, hey, we've got something here, did you think we need some help and, and maybe we sell to get help or, or was it just, I want out? You know, there, we get people from, from all different walks. So just wondering your thoughts on that. Yeah, it started, I think it started around the beginning of 2020. 
And our first conversations were not around selling. It was actually around raising capital or, you know, partnering with a VC or an angel. And so we started exploring those those options. And ultimately, our CMO connected us with Nate Lind with with website closers. And so uh, we started talking to Nate and Nate tells us, he said, hey, guys, you know, we've got a lot of different ways that you can, you know, take some chips off the table and, and basically cash in, but also stay with the business if you want to continue to grow it. And so we had never even thought of that idea before, but he presented that to us and basically said, you guys can sell 50% of the company, 70%, 80%, whatever you want, get a nice, you know, a nice cash pile to de-risk and obviously reward yourselves for what you've built, but then stay on and work with a firm who has experts and has capital and has all these resources behind the scenes to continue to grow your business, you know, over time. And so that was very attractive to us, um, you know, because again, we we don't have those kind of Ivy League MBA backgrounds where, you know, we had the confidence to basically ride this out for the next three to five years. Now, don't get me wrong. We were confident in our business. We were crushing it. And we had every every intention of growing this thing to 5X or 10X more than than what we did. But anything could happen. You know, there there could have been who knows? There could there could have been a, a lawsuits or compliance stuff or stuff with China and the U.S. I mean, a million different things could go wrong, and ultimately, you know that that roller coaster that seemed to keep going up could ultimately come back down. So, I think it was it was part de-risking, it was part you know taking some some chips off the table and cashing in for our reward that really got us excited about the process of selling. But you asked about kind of the, I guess, the emotions of it. I, I would, I've never been skydiving, but I would imagine it's similar where it's equal parts terrifying <laughs> and exciting. Um, yep. that, that was it for me. I mean, going through this process of selling was, it was, it was stressful. It was a lot of anxiety, but that was backed by excitement, you know, because as you're having this anxiety of like, will this get done or will we get through this process? there's that hope and that excitement of, yes, we will. And my life is going to be better on the other side of this. And um, it was a long process. As you guys know, we had a couple failed LOIs. Mm -hmm. Um, The the, the first guy basically didn't put together all the capital and the whole process kept dragging out longer and longer. And ultimately we walked away from that deal uh, because, you know, four to five months into it, the valuation of the company was higher than it was when he first submitted the LOI. And so we we walked away from that partnership, got locked up with a second group and, you know, got towards the end of the year. And the second group pulled out because they had sold their company to a larger aggregator. And, and so it was like one thing after another. And ultimately, we got we, we just kept pushing through. And we got to this last group. And as you said, this is a is a very, very large company. I believe it's one of the largest in the space. And so you know, we really deferred to you guys as our brokers and as our advisors on this deal you know, we deferred to you to kind of help us continue through this process and make sure we picked the right partner. And ultimately we did. These were the guys that that got it done. They got it done in like 45 days, nonetheless, and closed. And now we're in that process of transitioning everything over to them. And it's been a, it's been a really cool and really smooth ride ever since. Very finally smooth. getting to that close. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. And, and as you think about, you know, one day you'll, you'll, you'll remove yourself from California Beach Co. And, and, and potentially do something else. Any thoughts on what that might look like? 
Yeah, we're already working on it. Actually, we we didn't yeah. take much of a fall. I'm yeah, not surprised. We're, we're, we're already <laughs> at it, man. We're yeah. we're starting over and uh, hitting the reset button. I like yeah. it. I, I, I'm assuming there's a few things you've learned through this process not to do. Um, 100%. <laughs> <laughs> and just going back, you guys have been, I mean, website closers was very helpful. They helped, uh, you know, fortify the business. You guys really opened your Rolodex to us. You guys connected us with some uh, many great firms and great people, attorneys, whatever you name it. You guys have been great. You learn a lot during the sales process, you yeah. know, just having high level private equity firms or institutional firms come in and go through the due diligence process and dissect your business, you learn what they're looking at. You learn what they're looking for. You learn what they want. You learn what they expect. And once you've gone through that, it's like, it's like the blinders come off. You now know, like now when we start a, start a new company, we know exactly what to do. We know what to avoid. And when it comes time to wanting to, to sell, we're going to walk into that thing super prepared, you know, with everything up front versus scrambling and trying to have to put together inventory systems and a CFO and, you know, all of these things during the due diligence process. So it was very, very enlightening. And, you know, again, if people are out there, you're thinking about selling, you're thinking about raising capital, partner up with a brokerage like website closers and go through this process because it really just, it, it not only helps you in the business you're in and with the exit that you're trying to accomplish now, but anything you want to do moving forward, it's just going to make that, that whole thing easy. Easier yeah. in the future. One hundred percent agree. So, David, I I read that you know you and your wife were so invested in this company, and and Austin, I know that you are so invested in this company as well, and you guys are living paycheck to paycheck for the longest time. What's it like now? Like, wh- go go through your emotional state Ooh. now that you've um, gone through the the exit. Yeah, I mean that there was definitely a, a, some scary moments towards the end to where we really started pan ourselves. I think that there was a point where, you know, me and my wife and I, you know, I think Austin, we all kind of, it wasn't like a group conversation, but it was a wife. And then Austin, we knew that we were all in, we knew we had something and we believed in it. So all the savings I had, I, you know, I had to liquidate certain things and and I had to, uh, to put in, uh, to, to the, to the very end. And, you know, it couldn't have, uh, worked out any better because if it, if it would have got worse at the, at the end when I was just running dry, I don't know if I would be sitting here right now, but <laughs> you know, I was able to, able to pull together. And then just like Austin said, early 2020 things just, it just took off. And, you know, a few months we were just loving where the business was going. Uh, and then we were able to take some distributions from the company. And at some point that was when I had another conversation with Austin. He was just like, do it. <laughs> I was like, quit your job, man. What are you quit doing? Your job. <laughs> quit your job. Uh, I was scared. I was really, really scared uh, to quit that job. You know, even though I had already paid myself enough money to probably survive for two years or three years, even I was still scared though. And, but I did it. And I never look back and I'm, I'm very thankful and, and blessed. And, you know, I believe, though, um, I believed in, in us. I believed in myself and I had faith the entire time that we would eventually get over the hump, you know, because I felt like that's what it was. We were kind of just climbing this wall and it was just this roller coaster. But we, we finally we finally got there. And um, it's been amazing. 
I'm excited because this is just the beginning. A lot of people might think it's the end once you you sell a business or, or no, that, that's not the case at all. Austin and I are still young, um, even though I'm, I feel like I'm getting older and having to go to chiropractors and doctor visits and things of that nature. But, you know, we're still young and I'm by, we're going to hit it hard again and, and try to try to do this multiple times. And then then I don't know, maybe just sit back and invest. There's a lot of milestones. You know, you hit you hit these milestones as you're building your company, and then obviously a big milestone is if you have a successful exit. For me, you know, I think back our our first we had a lot of successful moments and milestones, but I think our first really big one where we were like, oh shit, we I think we made it was when we did our first million dollar month. And you know, when we had that, you know, if you're if you're if you have a business on Shopify, obviously you've never seen the M until you do a million dollars. And I remember, you know, we were we were up one night, at, like right at the end of the month. It happened on like the thirtieth at like midnight. We're all sitting there staring at our, our Shopify app, and it changed from nine ninety nine k to one M. And we were like, oh my god, there's an M. You know, so <laughs> it was a uh, you know those are those are those those kind of moments where you got to take a moment and stop and reflect on what you've done and what you've built. And then, you know, any entrepreneur is just going to put their head down and, and just keep going get, and keep right, get right back to it. I mean, you, you really, you literally celebrate for like one night and then you're the next day, it's something else. And all right, let's go. And uh, yeah, I mean, at some point we were doing one meal a week for a little while and that's when we really knew <laughs> we were like, all right, let's rock and roll. But now- we're kind of at that point now where we've, you know, we've had a successful exit. We've, we've got some cash that we can turn into, you know, strong, safe, passive investments to have income and, you know, grow our wealth and that kind of stuff. And now we can focus on other things without having that stress, you know, without, without having the need to make, make money or make income from your business. So we can take our time where we need to. We can put, allocate the right resources where we need to. And we can really focus on making sure that we repeat our success, but this time, you know, do it even bigger and do it with less stress. So that's really what's exciting for me. That's fantastic. Well, guys, you have shared this amazing story and congratulations. I can't wait to see what the next chapter is. I mean, you could go out to Hawaii and uh, live there for a while, but that's not you guys. You're entrepreneurs at heart. But I want to end on this. How did you, you mentioned you celebrate for a night. Like, how did you celebrate? Did you buy any toys? Like you've got to celebrate the wins at, at least to some degree. So how did you, you two celebrate? You know, I didn't, I didn't really want to go out and buy a bunch of material toys. I've, I was already kind of doing all right before. So I've got a nice car and a few watches and things like that. So I'm not, I, that wasn't really my, what I was most excited about doing, but one thing that was always a dream for me growing up was being able to uh, retire my parents and, and buy them a beach house. So, um, so I bought them a house in in Jacksonville, Florida, and paid cash for it. And they're they're actually moving there as we speak. So that was that was a life goal for me. That's awesome! What a great story. Love it. I haven't done that yet, but my parents they don't need it. Um, I'm not saying Austin's parents needed it either, but um, <laughs> yeah, my dad has like two houses. Uh, he's good. <laughs> but other than that, yeah, I'm going to take this money and uh, make it last and make it work and invest and, you know, continue to grow. Because, you know, you hear all those horror stories, you know, and, and, and people just waste their money. They just spend it on cars and not assets. You know, you need to buy assets. So. There you go. 
Well, guys, congratulations again. What an amazing story. And thank you for coming on the Deal Closers podcast. Yeah, thank you so much, guys. All right, that was David Shoham and Austin Wright from California Beach Company. What an amazing story. Thanks, everyone, for listening to this episode of the Deal Closers podcast, brought to you by WebsiteClosers.com. If you like the show, be sure to rate us, write a review, press the follow button, or share with your network. And of course, if you're looking for help selling your e-commerce business, be sure to visit WebsiteClosers.com. This episode was edited and produced by EarFluence. I'm Jason Gilligan, and we'll see you next time on the Deal Closers podcast.